preeclampsia remains a significant source of morbidity and mortality in the fetal and maternal health of our pregnant patients. Up to 10% of first pregnancies can be affected by this disease. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, a practicing physician, and with me today is Dr. Margaret Miller, an assistant professor of medicine and obstetrics and gynecology at Brown University Medical Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you. So do you think the prevalence of preeclampsia is growing in the United States? Well, we know that the prevalence of many of the diseases that are risk factors for preeclampsia are growing. So uh, it certainly seems likely that we may be seeing more and more preeclampsia as we see more women with hypertension and diabetes, for example. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because the population of women who are having children are aging slightly? That's also very possible with the aging population and women, you know, deferring or delaying childbearing we do see more chronic disease women in pregnancy. You know, I understood that some of the earlier study work that you and some of your colleagues had talked about predicted 2 to 10% of patients suffered for preeclampsia in pregnancy. What do you think attributes this wide range? Well, again, it, it has a good bit to do with risk factors, and there are a number of risk factors for preeclampsia, both patient risk factors in terms of patients who may have underlying diseases that will predispose to preeclampsia, as well as family history, obstetric issues that may increase a risk for preeclampsia. So I think there is a wide range, and it depends on the patient, the individual risk factors, whether or not it's a first pregnancy, all of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I I always found it interesting from when I was a medical student that first pregnancy was always the time we told people was the greatest risk for preeclampsia, but every time someone had a new partner, it seemed to have an equally high risk again. So we started blaming the sperm. That's right. And I think there is some evidence that there is probably some paternal factor, and we don't know exactly what that is. But it does seem that the highest risk is the first pregnancy unless there is a new partner. And if that's the case, even if it's a second or third pregnancy, the risk goes back to that of the first pregnancy. So there is some paternal factor in this, but we don't really understand it well. Mm -hmm. When do you think preeclampsia is usually diagnosed in most patients? Well, typically preeclampsia doesn't present until after 20 weeks. So we usually don't see any clinical manifestations of preeclampsia until the second half of gestation, and the overwhelming majority of it is diagnosed in the very end of pregnancy, in the last month or so. And we would both agree that the major treatment for preeclampsia is delivery. Yes, absolutely. What are the long-term medical concerns in a woman who has suffered from preeclampsia during her pregnancy for later on in her life? Right. Well, we're, we're starting to see more and more data that suggests that there are long-term risks for women who have preeclampsia. And Again, the information is not entirely clear, but it looks like women who have preeclampsia have a significantly higher risk for cardiovascular disease later in life, particularly if they had a preterm delivery and or a low birth weight baby. Those factors can significantly increase the risk. So most of the data we have on that is retrospective and prospective studies are going on now to really confirm that, but it is compelling data that looks like there is a risk for cardiovascular disease. So for a patient who suffered from preeclampsia as part of her primary care in the future, what would you suggest is an appropriate surveillance with those things in mind? Well, I think that preeclampsia needs to be on the list of cardiac risk factors, just like we ask women in primary care about hypertension, hyperlipidemia, any family history of heart disease, we need to think about pregnancy complications. And whether or not preeclampsia causes cardiovascular disease or it's simply a marker of women who have underlying risk factors, we're not sure. But either way, it seems pretty clear that preeclampsia is associated with an increased risk of cardiac disease. So in my practice, I usually encourage primary care doctors I work with to think of that as another risk factor. You know, there's been a lot of studies in the last decade about prevention of preeclampsia. 
which have not been very helpful in a lot of ways, things about vitamin C, aspirin, that sort of such. Can you comment a little bit on what you think we should be doing to prevent preeclampsia? Unfortunately, we really have not figured out how to prevent preeclampsia because we don't really understand what causes it. We're getting closer to an understanding of the pathophysiology of preeclampsia, but we don't really know all we need to know. So unfortunately, we don't have any great interventions to prevent preeclampsia. And no matter what we do, this is very discouraging sometimes to patients who have had significant or severe preeclampsia in a prior pregnancy. It doesn't matter how well we control the blood pressure. It doesn't matter how well we do aspirin or vitamins or nutrition. It just doesn't seem like we've found anything to really prevent it. But I do think that the one benefit of the foreknowledge of people having it is that at least you're looking for it with a higher index of suspicion so that earlier diagnosis can... And can prevent the you know, potential severe complications. Which is the only benefit of having had it before, I think. <laughs> right. Congratulations on the grant you just received for your study. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the study looking at the biomarkers for prediction of preeclampsia. So this is a study that is looking at a number of biomarkers that may help predict preeclampsia. And there have been a number of these biomarkers that have kind of come and gone in recent years and haven't really panned out. So we all look at this a bit cautiously, but there has been some excitement about one particular biomarker in the last few years where some studies have shown this marker called SFLT or soluble FMS-like tyrosine kinase is associated with an increased risk of developing preeclampsia. And some animal studies showing that when we give pregnant rats this molecule, they develop a syndrome that's very similar to preeclampsia. So it's exciting. It seems that this may be something real uh, that would help predict preeclampsia. And so this study is looking at an assay of various vascular endothelial factors that may be predictive of the development of preeclampsia. When are you collecting these biomarkers from patients? Well, it depends on the group. We're looking at four different groups. One is normal pregnancies, normotensive, no risk factors for preeclampsia. One is a group that have risk factors for preeclampsia. And in that group, we're enrolling them or collecting their blood at 20 to 24 weeks and then at four-week intervals. And there's a group of what we call mimics. And these are individuals that don't have the classic risk factors for preeclampsia but may have some features that would suggest preeclampsia. I think this is probably one of our most important groups because this is where a test would really be helpful to help figure out if it's preeclampsia or not. Tell us a little more about what kind of patient goes in that group. So the criteria for the study include patients who have one or more of things like fetal growth restriction. If they have gestational hypertension, they were uh, documented to be normotensive prior to 20 weeks but have developed some hypertension but no other findings if they have excessive weight gain, more than four pounds in a week, isolated proteinuria, things like patients who have lupus and may be having a flare of their lupus during the pregnancy. It can be very difficult to sort out, is that a lupus flare or is that preeclampsia? And we see many, many of these patients who, in a week, we've come to call them atypical preeclampsia because they're not classic. Maybe they don't have the hypertension or the proteinuria, but they have other features. And the question for us as internists, we often get involved because the question is, is this underlying medical disease or is this new preeclampsia? If you're just joining us, we're discussing an ongoing study being conducted at Brown Medical University in Rhode Island, looking at biomarkers that may help to predict the incidence or prevalence of preeclampsia in patients with Dr. Margaret Miller, the co-investigator of the study. So, Dr. Miller, we were just talking about the groups of people who were going to be in this study. You said there were three groups. Do you have a fourth group that I interrupted you about? Fourth group is women who develop preeclampsia, who are diagnosed with preeclampsia. So you're following these patients throughout the entire pregnancy? Mostly they start at 20 weeks, just because we certainly don't usually see preeclampsia prior to that, so we're not drawing blood before that. And then depending on which group they're in, 
They may have just one single blood draw or they may have serial blood draws every four weeks. Mm -hmm. Are you following these patients with blood after they've delivered as well? Not right now, no. In these preliminary stages of the study, what are you seeing as your trends? I haven't gotten any results yet, so we don't know what the trends are yet. What are you hoping to see? Well, I think what we're hoping to see is that this assay that we're studying will be associated with either women who have diagnosed preeclampsia or women who then go on to develop preeclampsia. And it will be helpful to sort out if there are any cutoffs, for example, of a woman who may be at risk and has a high level and then goes on to develop preeclampsia versus someone who does not develop preeclampsia. Is is this assay useful in that situation? My concern is that if we get a marker that says, oh, you are somebody who's going to get preeclampsia, do you then, you know, plan on delivering that patient early? Is there a prophylactic, you know, will there be a prophylactic plan that we can anticipate? Do those patients get steroids? Right. And, and I think that I would not anticipate that that would be in the plan. That would obviously be a decision for the obstetrician, but I think that that would be someone that we would be monitoring more closely. And so the monitoring, the number of ultrasounds they have, watching the growth of the fetus, looking for hypertension, the threshold would be different in terms of how worried we would be about minor changes in their blood pressure, for example, how often we might get an ultrasound. But certainly I don't think there would be any indication for delivery just based on biomarkers. Mm -hmm. I think we would still wait until we see development of the disease. And how are you engaging patients in the study? Is this only at your own institution? Uh, No, this is a study that involves six different institutions, really some geographically diverse sites. We're one of them. And when do you foresee the results of the study to be available? Well, we're hoping that we will finish up the recruitment for our site within the next year and hopefully have some results within one to a year to a year and a half or so. Let's talk for a minute about patients who are, we know are particularly high risk for this, for example, the patients with chronic hypertension. Do you make any suggestions to the patients or physicians who may be caring for them about how to help this patient prevent the risk of preeclampsia? I think the most worrisome set of patients for me is someone who has had early or severe preeclampsia, we know that the recurrence risk is quite high for those women. And and there's some school of thought that that may actually pathophysiologically be a different disease than the type of preeclampsia we see just at the end of pregnancy because the risk is so much greater. So for a patient like that, unfortunately, again, we don't have any proven methods of prevention, although we do have one large meta-analysis suggesting that a baby aspirin once a day may be helpful. This is a pretty low-risk intervention, so I usually do recommend a baby aspirin once a day if I have a patient who I think has a high risk for a recurrent preeclampsia. Do you think that good control of a chronic hypertensive before pregnancy may reduce the risk of preeclampsia? Unfortunately, I don't think we have great data that that's true. I do think that there's a subset of patients who have severe hypertension, and I worry about those patients. I think they end up with early deliveries often based on the escalating blood pressure, whether or not they have other features of preeclampsia, and they can certainly get growth restriction and other obstetric complications just from the hypertension. But I don't think we have great data that controlling the blood pressure will prevent the preeclampsia. Do you think we should use a different diagnostic criteria for those patients as far as preeclampsia is concerned? It can be tricky. When someone is difficult to control their blood pressure during pregnancy, it's hard to know when is preeclampsia starting because the elevation of the blood pressure is often one of the first signs that we see. So we like to check baseline labs on those patients, and uh, I know that's not done routinely, but in my practice, if I have someone, again, who I worry about having a high risk, I check some baseline preeclampsia labs and urines to make sure they don't have any end organ damage at baseline. That will help me sort it out later in the pregnancy if they do start to develop higher blood pressures but no other features of preeclampsia, then I'm less inclined to think this is preeclampsia. 
Are there medications you're encouraging the chronic hypertensive patient to take during pregnancy to help reduce their concerns? Well, typically, we actually allow patients with chronic hypertension to be a little bit more hypertensive in the pregnancy than they normally would. I don't think we have any good evidence that uh, mild to moderate even hypertension in pregnancy causes any problems for mother or baby. So we usually let our patients go to about 160 systolic to 100 diastolic and don't start medicines or change medicines unless they reach that level. If a patient comes in and is a chronic hypertensive who's on medication, we sometimes can take advantage of the normal physiologic drop in blood pressure in the early part of gestation and take them off the meds. That's probably what I do most commonly, unless they're severe hypertension. And which medications do you like to use while patients are pregnant? Uh, I typically use labetalol or methyldopa-aldamet. Those are the two drugs I think that have the best safety data in terms of no complications during pregnancy and tend to be quite effective. I probably use more labetalol than aldamet because I think the side effect profile is more tolerable. Do you foresee any other trends in research in preeclampsia in addition to this etiology biomarker idea? I think that this is certainly one of the leading theories right now. So it is getting a lot of attention. I think the other big piece that's really being looked at right now is the interaction between preeclampsia and cardiovascular disease and how those two things may be the same. What is the association? We know that there's endothelial damage in both. Does preeclampsia add to the risk for cardiac disease or is it just a marker that these women have other risk factors? And the markers you're looking at, you said were vascular markers, not particularly for placenta. Is that correct? These are markers that are produced by the fetal trophoblastic cells and probably produced abnormally or in an abnormal ratio when the placenta becomes ischemic or hypoperfused. That's sort of the leading theory right now. So these biomarkers are responsible for angiogenesis and producing that rich blood vessel network that needs to happen for the placenta to form properly. So the one, this SFLT marker, is one that is an anti-angiogenic factor. And so the theory is that this is somehow preventing the blood vessel network from forming properly. Do you think that there's anything else that confounds that other than the preeclampsia? In terms of the formation of the placenta, yeah, this is a very complicated process. And so there's lots and lots of issues that may be a factor here. And there have been, as I said, many other biomarkers that have been looked at and people got excited about briefly and then sort of didn't pan out. So, you know, we're all cautiously optimistic that this may be something real and may truly help to prevent uh, preeclampsia or help to identify preeclampsia, which I think is the first step in and then getting to prevention. Well, we're all very excited to see the results of your study. Thank you so much to Dr. Margaret Miller, who's been our guest. We've been discussing the possible early biomarkers that can predict preeclampsia. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and podcasts, visit reachmd.com. For comments and questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM160. Thank you.